Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the one and only, the author of the medic book, Mr. Andy White. Nick, why should people listen? You may or may not have heard of medic, and we're not talking about the folks who wear the white lab coats at the hospital. We're talking about one of the most well-known sales qualification methodologies that gives you a sense of, is your deal going to close, or are you missing a critical element to getting the deal done? And what Andy has done is taken that medic framework and given us actionable ways to actually bring it into play with your customer. Three, two, one, medic! Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. All right, Andy, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
All right, thanks, Aman. Thanks, Nick. Thanks so much for having me on. The first actual takeaway is this one. It's a small little line you can use that's going to help you tap into the mind of your customer to help unpick exactly what their process is they're going to go through when they're making their decision. What I find is that if you ask a customer, hey, what's the, what's the process you go here internally? They look forward and they think about all of the things they know that, that what they see when they look forward. But if you ask them this one little hack, which is what happened the last time you bought a solution like mine, they tap into their memory, which seems to evoke a whole ton of extra insights. And what you'll find is they go, oh, it's funny you should mention that. The last time I bought a solution like yours, it was ABC. And uh, oh, it was a nightmare. We actually have got this really weird security process. And it takes, it takes, it's going to take your team two weeks to do. It's going to take our team three weeks to review it when you get back. And all of a sudden, just from that one little hack, you found out something that's going to give you insight into something that if you would ask them outright, you'd never normally find out. So that's the first one. Second one is to qualify out for two reasons. The first is if you go to qualify out, and by the way, when I'm talking about qualifying out, I'm talking about having a polite conversation with the customer that says, hey, this doesn't feel like this is a priority for you guys right now. Um, it's as simple as that. We're not, we're not doing anything other than just kind of calling that out. One of two things happens. The first is the customer will agree with you. They'll say, actually, you know what, Armand, you're right. This is not top of our priority list right now, but we've really felt this has been a great engagement. Let's touch base in six months, which is a good outcome, right? It's a good outcome. It saved you a load of heartache, both yourself and then reporting up the chain with forecasting, all that sort of stuff. The second thing that happens is the customer won't let you qualify out. They'll turn around and say, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. No, no, no. Don't know. We are genuinely interested. We're sorry if we gave you the impression we weren't. And what you find is they start behaving then. Some customers think that by showing too much interest, you're going to perform some sort of Jedi mind trick and like sneak an order form underneath them if they show too much interest. When we know the best buyers, the ones that kind of come to the table mutually with you to kind of find value. So that's the second one. The third one is just two words as well. It's so what? And what this is, is if you're trying to articulate your value proposition, and you're, if, you're, if you're smart, you'll be thinking about this with your team, you'll be collaborating and practicing your proposition. And it goes like this, if you're going to say whatever area of value you think you offer to that customer, and you can ask yourself, so what after it and give an answer, then you've not articulated the value well enough. I think we as salespeople, because we know our proposition so well and we're so familiar with the value it gets, we forget our customers are like brand new, brand new to what we do in our proposition. So just help us get, get to the really obvious part of it. Boom. All righty. So before we jump right in, I thought it would be helpful to just define MedPick for everyone, for those who haven't heard about it. So MedPick is, is a, a generally known uh, philosophy around forecasting, qualification, and just generally a deal dynamic so that you make sure that uh, if you think a deal is going to come through, you really know it's going to come through. The eight letters in MedPick are metrics, economic buyer, so someone who can approve the budget, uh, decision criteria, which is what are the technical and business requirements, the decision process, right? How do they actually go about making a decision internally? The paper process, think uh, red lines, things of that sort, the identified pain, the champion, and then the competition. So those are your eight letters. So Annie, my question for you is, I get onto my first discovery call and I have eight letters swirling from my head how do I get these in my sales cycle in a way that feels organic and I'm not just like, all right, let's start with step number one. What are your metrics? 
Yeah, great question, Amanda. It's a, it's a really common question I get because it just kind of makes sense. When you see an acronym built out like it is, you kind of want to think that you have to kind of go through, you know, in order first and foremost. And the fact that you'd actually think that you have to kind of extract all of that information. The way I best answer that question is to kind of answer it from how I think about MedPIC, which is a framework that works alongside salespeople that know what they're doing, that know how to sell. And it helps them focus on the right things at the right times. Keep What I like to say is keeping them on the front foot. And it, for me, it splits into three pillars. The first pillar is around value. The second pillar is around stakeholders. And the third pillar is around process. And if you think about any any kind of sales engagement with a, a kind of a complex sale of a value sale, it really just focuses on those three things. No, no salesperson would argue those three things aren't the most important things for you to focus on. And so... When you think about it from that lens and we think about, well, it's really important we sell about value. It's really important we think about all the stakeholders and what value they care about. And then also when it's right, we think about the process in which the customers go to. You kind of see it from a different lens where you don't actually have to check off like all of the letters and you actually think about the letters from a perspective of, okay, I'm engaging with this customer. It's really important I find pain. When I find the pain, I want to align that pain to value. And then of course, not everyone has the same pains, not everyone cares about the same value. So let's start to think about which stakeholders are relevant here. But the really like, that's kind of the zoomed out version, like the, the really short answer to your question is that you don't have to kind of go through every letter. In fact, like there's some letters like the paper process, unless like there's an NDA, which is kind of part of the paper process, you're probably not gonna be thinking about the paper process until maybe at the earliest, the second or third meeting in a lot of cases. So I think about it very much more of a, a, um, a framework that's there to help you kind of stay on the front foot and don't think about it like a checklist. That's the wrong way of thinking about it. So Andy, let's dive a little bit deeper here. You mentioned this concept of qualification. A lot of times, yeah, buyer, folks on the sales side are afraid to tell buyers we're not willing to focus on that stuff. What are some of the early things I can pull out of a sales cycle that should tell me I shouldn't spend time here? Yeah, great question. Well, the, the, the first and the most obvious one for me is that the customer needs to be willing to enter into what I class as like a, an exchange of value. You as a salesperson, you know you can't do the, the kind of job that we all aspire to do, which is to focus on value, focus on really what matters to the customer without that customer being open to talk to us. You know, we can't, you know, if, if they're not willing to sort of share their goals, their challenges, the things that they really care about, then we're kind of just guessing wildly. And, you know, we can, of course, we can do things like read the annual report. We can think about other customers we've worked with that are probably ha have similar sort of goals and challenges to the customer we're talking to. But the whole point here is if we've, if we're approaching an opportunity in the manner where we've, We've researched the customer. We know we know from their industry, we know from other customers like them we've worked with what kind of goals, challenges, and the ways that we our solution can help. If we if we go into an engagement and we're presenting that from a position of like, you know, this is what we do, this is who we help, and the customer's not prepared to kind of throw you a bone and give you kind of some insights into if that's relevant or if it's if if they have if they're seeing the same kind of challenges or pains or have the same kind of goals, then that for me is a massive red flag about perhaps like either that customer doesn't see the value in your solution enough. They don't have enough pain for it to, to kind of get the urgency it would need to get a, a deal done. Or perhaps like they're just not a, a kind of a, 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 a stakeholder that you want to engage with because they're, they're either not an experienced buyer or they don't have the power and influence to get a deal done. So Andy, in a situation like that, so I'm on the I'm on the Zoom meeting and I'm talking with Armand and I'm feeling that he's, he's just not giving me what I need. 
how do I react in a situation like that? Do I just immediately go to, seems like you're, you know, this isn't a priority, see you later, and qualify them out? Or do I, do I say something to try to get him to lean in a little bit? Yeah, great, great question. I think the mistake commonly salespeople make now, which is they do one of two things. They, they know that they have to kind of get some discovery, but they also know that their customer wants to know about their solution. So they saw, it's almost like a, a, a crossroads you go to. And it's like option A is we get into pitching and we hope that, that there's something in my slide deck that appeals to the customer that they'll go, oh, yes, let's talk about that. Or option B is we go, well, we know we shouldn't go straight into pitching, so we should do some discovery. And we go, right, thanks for coming to the meeting, man. What's keeping you awake at night? And you know, what does that mean if you don't solve that? And, you know, who else cares about this? And the customers, they're going like, what? Like, I, I, is this an interrogation? Right. So that's the problem. I think your question kind of comes from a position where like that could have been the case where like either I've done the pitch and it's not resonated or I've kind of not won the credibility or the right to ask those questions yet. And so that's why the customer's kind of standing off a bit. So let's flip it around. And let's say I go into that meeting and I say, Armand, great to meet you. you know, ahead of this session, I was I was doing my research, which like, by the way, I know you, you know, by the very virtue of listening to this podcast, your, your, your listeners are like higher level than the average of our industry. But I have to say, from my experience, the average in our industry, like they think that like research is Googling the company's logo and putting it on the slide deck. Like that's like, from what I see, that's what they think is research. I'm talking about taking time ahead of that meeting to kind of research the customer, research their business, look on Google, you know, all the good stuff. We know that, you know, some of your great guests before have have really done a great job of, of, of giving us like really good ways of preparing for a meeting. <clears throat> You go into that meeting and you can say, not just like based on the research I've done. So straight away, the customer's like, you did some research. Okay, I'm listening now. Um, I was looking at customers um, that we work with that I think are similar to your business. Because what I was looking to do was I was trying to come here today to, to show you how our solution I think could help you. What I found was there's this one company, right? Your Adidas. So this one company, Nike, we've helped. Before Nike worked with us, they had these problems. And that was costing them this much money before. Um, and then after taking on our solution, we were able, we helped them to solve those problems by doing this. And what we're seeing from them now is they're getting X percent higher this X percent more efficient that does that resonate with you, Amand? Is that the kind of thing that, you know, is aligns with some of the things you're focused on straight away? You're more you're more you should be more interested if I've done my research right or like it may be the case it's not the right opportunity, we can't win them all, right? But what I've done there is a few things that I think are really cool. The first is I've shown I've done my research. We already talked about that. The second is I'm talking about a reference. So I'm reference selling straight away, but I'm reference selling with a story. This is how things were. This is how things are now, um, which you know we know that our customers, when we tell stories, they start to use different parts of their brain, which kind of makes things just a bit more visual and all the good stuff that goes with that. The other thing we're doing is we're not calling their baby ugly, right? We're not coming in and going, hey, you know, I was on your website earlier and, uh, you know, I, <laughs> it took me 30 seconds for a page to load. What, what's, what's that all about? Like, you yeah, know, that's really bad. You know, that's costing you 4% conversions, uh, and which would probably lead to a million dollars lost a year and stuff like that. We don't do that because the customer's like, well, who, who's this like guy coming in, giving me this? So we, 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 we talk about somebody else's ugly baby they look at it and they can say, wow, there's someone here that can actually help me with this. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes you might say, oh, with Nike, we reduced X by Y or whatever it might be. 
But let's say I'm selling a tool where the ROI is a little bit more challenging to quantify. So a good example would be a tool like Asana. Mm -hmm. It's a task management software. And I suppose you could quantify the number of the amount of hours you spend managing tasks and how much faster it would be with Asana. But the reality is there are many other like emotional problems and just general reasons you should have a task management software. So how do I balance trying to like count the dollars and cents in metrics with just putting a bunch of vanity metrics out there so that my buyers are like, dude, this is like nowhere even close to real ROI. So that's a really good one. Using your Asana example, which is a killer example, because that really, that's probably one of the hardest I've ever heard to kind of try and pull a metric out of, because as you rightly say, that kind of, that value of kind of, it's real efficiency value, isn't it? So it's like, what is the delta between that? And then the way I would get into that is, again, it comes back to stakeholders. It depends who you're talking to, who will care about what, you know, HR um, and people teams will care more about, you know, the the, the happiness of, of, of the teams and the tools they're using, whereas the CFO is going to care more about, you know, the output and the efficiency of the team. So let's, so let's say we're talking to the CFO. I would be wanting to, with that organization, try and find out how much time is being lost um, by inefficient processes, which Asana could fix. And I would be, you know, to your example where there may not be like really meaningful metrics I can bring from another customer, I'd be looking still to use the use cases and the anecdotes and then just try and extract from the customer I'm talking to about how, you know, how many people do they have? How many projects are they running? How, um, you know, how, 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 how many people are in the solution? And how much time do you think is being wasted? And then you'll start to get a picture. I always say like this with metrics, you're really just helping the heart with the head. And it's kind of giving the business cases really kind of underpinning what the customer will feel in their heart is the right solution for them from your engagement. It just gives them the business case that they can then walk around the business and kind of get stakeholders in based on logic rather than emotion. And that actually goes back to the skill of the salesperson themselves to propose the business case in a manner that is appealing to the customer. I think so often now, you know, ROIs and, and business cases, they're so common and salespeople forget that we have to actually kind of like the customer's not just going to go, yeah, great business case, give it to me. You have to kind of sell that. It's a, it's a selling tool. So we need to kind of propose the benefits to the customer from it. Um, and if we do that in the right way and we, we're, we're pulling on the right levers, then they should be very, very interested in, in you working side by side with them to build a business case. I would say that in answer to your question, if, if you're really struggling to, to get that person to kind of give you that that kind of the, 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 the insights and so you can build that business case, then they're probably not maybe got that much pain or you haven't tapped on something that they're really going to be like keen on solving. So, Andy, I want to get on the topic of power and I want to throw a scenario that I had recently at you. I reached out to a law firm that I was trying to sell to and I reached out to the managing partner, like the CEO of the law firm, and he referred me to the COO of the law firm, which is still a pretty great meeting for me to have. And the COO said, great, let's set up a meeting. Here's the three people I'm going to bring to that meeting. It's going to be me and these two others. I show up on the Zoom and the two lower level people are there and they said, hey, sorry, the COO can't make it. And one of these people was like an analyst. And the first thing that came out of her mouth on that meeting said, I looked at your website and even if your software was free, I don't think we would use it. And so I'm in this tough scenario where I haven't said a word. I show up, I'm smiling, they turn on the Zoom and the first thing she hits me with is that. And I'm not at power. And one, how do I react in a situation like that? Well, let's tackle that first. 
Wow. Okay. So I think this this is a very much a style question for me. So that my style in approaching this, I'm quite a kind of kind of jovial in those kind of situations. So I'm like, well, I would be like, whoa, okay, wow. Well, blimey, if I, if I felt like that ahead of a meeting, I'm just glad you're here. So thank you so much for coming. Because I'm trying to like, I don't want to like have a confrontation with this person. So I'm like, well, thank you so much for coming. Why, why, I have to ask there because that's that's crazy. That's the that's the craziest opening to a call I've ever had. Um, why 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 did you agree to come to the meeting? And then of course she's going to have to say, well, my bosses said like I should come. I'm pretty sure that would be the answer. And and then you say, oh, well, why why did you think he or she wanted you to come to the meeting? Everyone's so busy. And they're not going to be like, oh, this guy. He reached out. He really nailed his outreach, and so I feel obliged to meet him. Right, that doesn't happen in our world. So, you know, we all know how quickly people are to cancel if if they've lost the interest. So, there must have been something there. And I don't know. I just I find that such a contentious like attitude to have. I would almost make it my like goal to win that person over. I'm like almost wanna. I almost wanna like as a personal goal, put aside my deal. I wanna like see if I can win that person over, and that's that would be what I'd be trying to get to the bottom of. What did you do, man? Um, I try. I, I tried to follow your goal. I tried to win that person over. I failed, and then I reached <laughs> out to the COO like six times, and they haven't responded. And so, to follow wow. your qualifying, I said, "All right, like I'm moving on. I, I can't waste any more time or emotional energy on on this deal." So for me, um, this is where salespeople act too much on their own. You know, we we think about we our roles as salespeople, right? But we don't have to. We can rely on our executive team. We can rely on our leadership team. We can rely on our subject matter experts to kind of open up those other lines of communication. One thing I always did was I would, if we had an opportunity that we were excited about when I was a sales leader, I would always reach out to who we would identify as maybe a senior stakeholder, maybe multiple senior stakeholders ahead of the meeting. And, you know, there's no ask. We're not trying to we're not trying to pull um, them into the meeting. We're not trying to do anything other than just open up an additional line of communication. And the amount of times that deals have gone quiet, customers have started ghosting us and we've thought, well, nothing left to lose. We've got that link into that C-level person and you, you follow up and, and all of a sudden it kicks the deal back into life because they were interested. They're keen on solving the problems that you solve and they kind of, you know, it, it comes back down down the chain and then all of a sudden the customer comes back to life again. So I would just say that um, in those instances, of course, we can't win them all and there's always going to be situations where customers just, you know, they're gone and that's that's fine. Um, but if you've got an opportunity that you, you're really excited about and it's, it's worth the while of, the wider team getting involved in it, then I'd be I'd be trying to line up other stakeholders to, to to take ownership as well. Andy, what do you have your C-suite people say when they do that reach out with no ask? Is it just hey, meeting with Armand next week? Just wanted mm-hmm. to let you know. Like, what what are they saying? Yeah, it's it's super simple, and again, it goes back to that aura of being like, hey you'd be really pleased because we work with all these companies and we, we chose you to work with next. Like that's the, that's the impression that the whole, the whole proposition should come with. And so it's like, and, I, and, and by the way, secret here, like when I was a, when I was a sales leader, I would adjust my email signature title to match the person that I'm writing to just to make sure I felt like on, on par with them, which is, you know, not so much. I'm not like, I wasn't calling myself the CEO or anything like that, but like if there was like a, a regional leadership thing, you know, in some like in, in Europe, directors are really high title, but in, in, in the US, like the equivalent is like VP. So I would adjust it accordingly. 
I'd reach out and I'd say something like this. I'd say, hey, Nick, um, my name's Andy. I run um, this region for, for this company. We work with organizations like A, B, and C, and they'd obviously be super relevant. My, um, Stephanie and Joe in my team are meeting, and I might name check their team. Might not, depends on the, the, the field uh, in your team. And we're really excited. Here's the reason why we're excited. Dum, 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 a couple of bullet points. Um, all I wanted to reach out to you is to say that we're excited for obvious reasons. Um, and um, I wanted to open up a line of communication to you to say that if this meeting goes well, as we expect it to, then I'm gonna be the executive sponsor on this project. And I wanted just to open up this line of communication to you so you can contact me anytime. Right now, no ask. I'll probably check in with you if the meeting goes well, just to let you know how we think it went, but that's it. And I've obviously expanded a lot there in the way I've extracted that, but it's really just short and punchy of like, this is why this is who I am. This is what we do. No ask, and that's the really important bit I've always seen. There's no ask right now. I just wanted to let you know, kind of thing. Well, the brilliant thing that you're doing there, I love the keyword, I'm going to be the executive sponsor on our end. Because like I'm dealing with this at my business right now, where when we bring on a customer, we're also bringing on risk. And we need an executive to say, hey, like we should bring this customer on. And so what you've done is you've signaled, hey, we're getting power involved on our end. We're sponsoring this on our end. We're making a commitment on our end. There's no ask, but like we're invested in this. And that gives you grounds then later if they're ghosting you to be like, hey, like what's going on here? It also makes them feel much more important when it's like, oh, this isn't just Andy running rogue trying to win business for this huge company. It's like there's an exec involved in this thing. Yeah. And there's one more bit that I missed out that I, I often will do as well. If it's if it's not that first meeting, so if it's following a first meeting or a couple of meetings, then I will name check the people in that person's team and say what a great job they're doing because they cannot then complain if you've complimented them to their boss, right? They can't complain. It's like it's a good thing for them all of a sudden. I have three examples of where this has worked that are really noteworthy. The first one was where a customer um, said they'll do an NDA after a really good first meeting, they said they'd do an NDA. They ghosted us, went to ground completely for us, uh, with us. I'd already done the reach out to the CEO founder who had replied back, been very friendly. And we thought we got nothing left to lose here. Let's do it. It reignited the opportunity. Not only did it reignite the opportunity, he introduced us to a CCO in their business. And that person took ownership of the project. Whereas before we were a couple of levels down, got the deal done. So that deal was in our mind, we were like about to close, lost it, but it reignited because we had the, we already had the line open. Just last week, CRO and president of a company, that, that exact template I just gave you, his email, this, by the way, this is a legend in our industry. This is like one of the top five CROs out there. No word of a lie. Like there's a, there's a book not too far away from me who, who this guy wrote, right? Um, he said to me, um, his email, Andy, I never, ever replied to email, uh, emails from salespeople, but boom. And then he was in like, it was, and I think it's just the no ask thing. It's like, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just letting you know I'm here. Like, this is what I'm doing. It's refreshing, right? This has been phenomenal. I'm super juiced up by what you just talked about. We're running out of time. We got to move to the final question. The final question is this. We have talked about a lot of wonderful things that salespeople should be doing, but we need to talk about the inverse now. And so the final question is this. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's because it is hurting them more than it is helping. I think it really goes back to qualification. 
Um, we've talked a lot about this this idea of valuing your time, value you know, expecting the customer to have a, a mutual exchange of value with you. And I think the number one thing you can do as a salesperson today in today's world is just value your own time. Value your own time in a manner that tells the customer, hey. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna chase you around for this. Like I've got loads of other opportunities. Have you seen how good our solution is? Right. That will give the impression um, that that they should really be respecting your time, or at least if not, then then move on. You know, we can't win them all. I had an RFP, blind RFP, come through to me a couple of months ago. I I was very busy at the time, but it was a blind RFP. I don't do them anyway. It said uh, I, I politely declined. I said these are my exact words. As a, as a data-driven salesperson, I know that you win less than 10% of blind RFPs. So I cannot devote the amount of time I'd want to devote to this and, and do it justice. So I politely declined and I wish you the best in your endeavors. They replied back and said, you'd been highly recommended. I think you had more of a chance of 10% of winning, but okay, we respect your decision. Two days later, the CRO reached out directly to me and said, hey, let's have a chat. Not only did we have a chat, when I got on the call, there was like five people there. We we skipped the RFP and they're my third biggest customer. I qualified out of that deal. Nobody regrets qualifying out. I love it. Andy, anything you want to promote before we jump off here? I would like to plug my YouTube channel. I think that, you know, that's the gateway drug for, for thinking about qualification a little bit differently. So I'd love people to, to go and find us on, on YouTube and it's, it's Medic, M-E-D-D-I-C-C. And, you know, I'd love you to subscribe there. That's what I'd love you to do. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Your top four takeaways from this episode. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free. The link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. So with Andy White include number one, instead of Asking about the buying process, ask about the last time they bought something and you'll usually get a story that tells you what the buying process was. Number two, if it feels like it's not a priority, call it out, save yourself the time of working a bad deal or they'll justify why it is a priority. Which brings us to number three, when you get your executives into a meeting with their executives, have them remain in contact, have them send a follow-up email, do the exec to exec motion. And then lastly, number four, if you've done your research on someone, tell them that early on in the sales cycle so they know you came to actually play ball. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? 
Listener, have you ever thought about connecting execs with 30 Minutes to Presidents Club? What I mean by that is if you enjoyed listening to this show and you haven't done so already, consider sending this show to your boss and saying, hey, this show has helped me improve as a salesperson. Two great things will happen. One, you're going to look like a superstar for owning your own self-development. But more importantly, you will warm Nick's cold, frozen soul and give me joy which I'm missing nowadays. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.